Good morning, Grace Community Church. Morning, afternoon, evening. I guess it doesn't really matter, eh? You could be watching this at any time. I guess that's one of the nice things about these recorded sermons. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Zach Fairchild. And for those of you that do, I'm sorry. <laughs> I admit, um, I have been a member here at Grace and attending for literally my entire life. I didn't really have much choice in the matter, uh, at least when I was growing up, because I am John Fairchild's son. Um, but after I grew up and gained my independence, I chose to stay and keep coming. I love this church and this community, and I'm very happy to be able to share my various ramblings with you this morning. I've titled this sermon, Give It the Old College Try. Calvin and Hobbes is my favorite comic. I grew up reading it over and over and over, every Saturday morning or whenever the papers came in, picking it up and getting the comic and then buying all the things from Scholastics and reading them over and over and over. It's, it's the best one out there. There's a strip published on June 28th of 1995, where Calvin asks his dad uh, what this saying, the sermon's title, give it the old college try, means. Calvin's dad replies with, it means you join your friends, get some cheap beer, order a pizza, and forget about tomorrow. Calvin's mom then interjects, telling them both that that's not what the saying means. To which Calvin's dad responds, where did you go to college? The actual accepted meaning of the phrase is to use one's very best effort or to try very hard. Just to clarify, I'm going with the true definition of this phrase for the sermon rather than Calvin's dad's. Uh, you know, I could probably just stop right there, in fact, and leave the sermon at that. Give it the old college try. Use your very best effort. It can and should be applied to pretty much every situation that we're in. Are you a parent trying to figure out how much effort you should put into raising your children? Do your very best. Are you a student studying for an exam and wondering how much time you should put in? Do as much as you can. Are you an athlete? training for a competition and deciding how much you should put into that training. Do your very best. Are you a Christian and wondering how much you should work to not sin and instead do God's will? Do your very best. Let me be clear. God demands perfection from us. Not sinning and being holy is always the goal. Peter puts it plainly in 1 Peter 1, verses 15 to 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Jesus says it earlier on too, in Matthew 5, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Pretty black and white, eh? In fact, 
you'll notice that Jesus most certainly does not simply say what I've already told you. He says that we should be perfect. He doesn't say that we should settle for just trying our best. So Zach, you're probably wondering, why the discrepancy? Why are you telling us one thing, even though Jesus and Peter tell us another? Well, okay, that's a fair point. And I guess I'll say it too. Uh, new message title, I guess. Be perfect. Be holy. Just as God is holy and just how Jesus was holy when he was here on earth. Now, after saying that, I'm going to ask you a question. Can you? <laughs> okay, it's a rhetorical question. We all know that the answer is no. None of us as fallen humans can achieve perfection. It is impossible for us. Paul puts it rather succinctly in the famous verse, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God, being holy and just, requires us to be sinless to enter heaven and be in his presence for eternity. So that's a problem for us. Another tricky bit, as I've said, there is nothing that we can do to become holy. There is no number of good deeds that we can complete to wipe away our sin. On our own, we're stuck. Thank God, though, that we're not just on our own. He loves us so much that he went out of his way. <laughs> and side note, out of his way doesn't even begin to explain how much he's done for us. But he went out of his way to offer us a perfect solution. He sent his own son down to earth to die on the cross for our sins. He offers this washing of our sins by his son's death as a gift to us. And although there isn't any good work that we can do to get us into heaven, if we simply accept his gift, then our failures are dealt with once and for all. Ah, I mean, a deep dive into all this would require probably a couple more sermons, and they would be pretty great, of course. But suffice it to say that God fixed our mistakes because he loves us, and he knows that we can't do it on our own. So if you're following along here, you may have another question coming up. If there's nothing we can do to achieve eternal life with God, and he's just, I don't know, giving it away for free, then why even bother trying to be good and sinless anyways? <laughs> so this is the question that kind of started my whole thought process for this sermon in the first place. Now, some of you might scoff at this question, you might try to just brush it off without much thought, but it is an actual question that a lot of people have. In fact, there are groups of people who live their lives completely as they want with total reckless abandon because they believe that God has forgiven every sin that they will ever commit, which is true. But because of that, they think it doesn't matter 
how many more sins they perform and if they obey God's will or not. Not so true. So how do we answer this question? If someone living like this asks us, or how do we answer it to ourselves? If you have it um, yourself and have doubts about what you should be doing, it won't do anyone any good, not the asker, not yourself, certainly not God to say, that's an absurd question. We're obviously just supposed to be good as Christians. End of story. As I've been thinking about this question, I've come up with a few reasons that I'd like to share. Reason one, because God commands us to be sinless. As noted before, Jesus tells us to be perfect, and Peter reinforces this thought even after Jesus has ascended back up into heaven, and he had paid the price for all of our sins. I mean, this reason alone is enough if you just think about it even a little bit. Why should we try to be sinless? Because God, the all-powerful creator and ruler of the universe, says so. That's why. Paul, speaking in a letter to the Colossians, reinforces this idea and gives it some gravitas in Colossians 3, verses 5 to 6. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Paul says that we should put to death our sinful ways or destroy them so that they can no longer act upon our lives. Reason two, doing God's will is an act of worship. Romans 12 verse one has Paul saying, therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. The ultimate goal in all of our existence is to give God glory. We can do this directly by worshiping him. And we're told that when we live our lives for God and obey his will, then that is exactly what we are doing, worshiping him. Reason three, how we live is a witness to others. You've probably heard the phrase, there's no such thing as bad publicity. But that's not necessarily true outside of a worldly view. How we live and what we choose to do or not do can both impact what others choose to do or not do and shape their view of Christianity and God. You've seen this happen and continue to take place in our world today as some churches or individuals who identify as Christians have openly portrayed hate and judgment and condemnation to other people or groups of people. Quite frankly, it's sickening and so backwards from what God commands us to do. And society sees this and it shapes their viewpoint. You may have heard this quote attributed to Gandhi, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians your Christians are so unlike your Christ. It is very, very hard to convince people of something 
when they don't think that you're convinced of it yourself. Having said that, however, note that God can still use everything for good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He can use situations that may seem bad to us and use them for our good. And he can certainly also use situations that we've completely blown and turn them around for his glory. I mean, he even lets us help sometimes. Repentance and humility go a long way here. Paul also puts another little spin on this witness piece when he says in Titus chapter 2, verse 7, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. People also learn from other people and they're good at copying. I have a three-year-old daughter and a 10-month-old daughter who both validate this statement quite well. Copying daddy is always a fun game. And you know what's interesting is that somehow they instinctively know that copying bad behavior is more enjoyable. So I have to be rather careful and purposeful in setting a good example for them. Paul, I'm certain, saw this play out in people too and made sure to clarify that we should be setting an example how? By doing what is good. In Luke 6, verse 46, Jesus asks a question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Sometimes when I'm reading a verse or passage from the Bible, I like to picture how a quote is being said. And here, I wonder if Jesus was asking it rhetorically, maybe even with a little hint of sarcasm. I mean, it almost seems like a silly question, right? If you value someone so highly that you refer to them as Lord, Lord, you do what they say, right? Right? But again, maybe it's a question that we shouldn't just be brushing off so dismissively. Why don't we follow all the things that Jesus has said? I know that I don't all the time. I'm guilty of it. Why don't I? What reasons would I give to Jesus if he all of a sudden showed up in the flesh here and asked me this question face to face right now? I could reply with, well, it's hard. I mean, wow. Is it ever difficult to be perfect? I am fallen and sinful, and many of my default reactions are not what God wants. It takes effort and vigilance to watch for these, and then even more effort to not do what comes naturally and instead do what God asks of me. And I mean, I've already got so much in my life that I'm expending effort on. And I failed so many times. I just don't know if I can do it. 
Do you know what that response is? It's honest, for sure. It is how I feel sometimes. But it is also a lie, a lie planted in us from Satan. He is sneaky and destructive and always looking for ways to get us into a negative feedback loop to just drain all the effort from us. Remember this, this is very important. For Satan, our apathy towards God and his will is just as good as us actively turning against him. Stopping you dead in your tracks in your spiritual journey is just fine and dandy for Satan. He doesn't really care if you go all the way against God or if you just stop going for him. St. Augustine has a nice compact quote that hopefully will give us a boost here. Give what you command and then command whatever you will. Augustine is pointing out that whatever God is telling us to do, he will give us what we need to complete his will. He will be there to help us. We don't have to do it alone. In fact, lots of times, he has already given you what you need, and then he simply gives you the opportunity to fulfill his commands. I mean, how empowering is that? That works for me. And if you want an example of hyperbole here, think of Peter when Jesus told him to walk on water. And no, let's be clear, there were no loopholes here. This is liquid water we're talking about, not ice. Under any other circumstance, you could correctly assume that if you do this, then you will sink in the lake. But here, Peter tried and even succeeded for a little bit. He literally walked on water. Jesus gave him a supernatural ability to do so when he followed his command. And when he faltered, Jesus didn't leave him on his own. He rescued him. He reached down and picked him up. And he'll be there to do the same to you, to help you out whenever he asks you to do something. I also have a sneaking suspicion that when Peter actually tried to do as Jesus said, and he tried to walk on the water, even though he didn't fully succeed, I think that Jesus was ecstatic that he tried. I wonder if when Jesus caught Peter and says to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I wonder if he was saying it with a smirk on his face and if he was being a little cheeky while making his point. I wonder if he was holding back a huge smile, thinking proudly that Peter had tried, that he had done his best, even though his best had ultimately failed. Sure, he was definitely making a point to Peter, which absolutely applies to us too, that he can still do better in the faith department. But perhaps he was very pleased with the amount of effort and faith that this human displayed. We are all made in God's image. So I think it isn't a stretch to draw a parallel here to how I feel as a father when my daughter tries to do something that I've taught her or instructed her and how God feels when we try to do as he commands us. I'm just gonna say it, 
Being a parent is tough. My goodness. Especially the parts when you tell your kids that they need to do something that they, they don't want to do or vice versa. I try to explain why I'm asking certain things of my daughter and sometimes it helps. We brush our teeth so that they can stay healthy and strong and they don't get ouchies or cavities. We put band-aids on cuts so that the wound can stay safe while our body repairs it. We don't eat popsicles all the time because they are a special treat and that would lose their fun and they might even upset your tummy if you eat too many. Oftentimes though, I just get a disappointed, oh, when she doesn't agree. It's tricky, but I want the best possible life for her. And that doesn't necessarily mean giving her everything she wants or asks for. Then though, there are moments that warm my heart and make me one proud dad. When my older daughter says, hey dad, watch this, and then proceeds to show me a new trick that she's learned or skill that she's been practicing, or when she actually plays nicely and shares her toys and effort with her younger sister, or when her younger sister stands up on her own, looks over at me with a great, big, proud, happy smile. It's the best. When my kids simply try to do what I've asked them or to live out the values that I've tried to teach them, or even when they just try new activities and challenges in life, it fills me with joy. I don't mind if they fail. And in fact, honestly, most of the time I'm expecting it. But the fact that they have tried is so important to me. And I know I can't properly even express this, but it truly is. I believe that's how God feels with us too. When a Christian, a little Christ, tries to do his will, and when they try to live for him, he is pleased. God is love and he loves us. Nothing brings him more joy than being able to be with us. Okay, that kind of sounds like an outlandish statement, but it's true. He sent his son to die for our sins so that we could be with him. He loves it when we pray and commune with him, when we worship him, and when we do his will. Simply trying to do these things is a huge first step as humans, and God knows it, and he appreciates it. It's true, he does demand perfection, but he already made a way for us to be holy and be with him, and he loves it when we give him an honest effort to do as he asks. Don't forget to keep trying as well. Trying once is certainly good, and God does love it. But continuing to try, even when it is difficult to do so, or if you fail, is just as important. The perseverance involved here also goes a long way in showing our dedication to God and His will, 
and can help you to overcome obstacles too. I know this is true for me. Generally speaking, the more you value something, the more resources you put into it, your time, your money, your attention, etc., are all limited resources that you have and you get to choose how to use them. So I challenge you, don't let Paul be referring to you in Titus 1 verse 16. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Put your effort towards God. He loves it because he loves you. One thing that can be tricky is knowing how to follow God's will. Okay, it's easy to summarize with the two greatest commandments in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. But what does this look like in real life? I read a book recently called God Space for a study, and I took one major point from it. I should try to see people how God sees them. I'll be honest, this is something that I struggle with. I often, at times, will get angry or frustrated with others, or even just dismiss them completely. Even though I know that's not what God wants, I have to continually try to view everyone how God sees them. I ask God to help me and to give me the patience and effort to look for people's value according to him. I try to remember God unconditionally loves everyone on this planet, and so I should be doing so too. This is an area that I have to put in a good amount of effort and continually try in. I've found that asking God to help me in this way, and even just to help keep this thought in the foreground of my mind is very helpful. Another important thing to help you follow God's will is simply knowing what it is. For this, you need to be communing with God. You probably know the most cliche IT tip, reboot your computer. Have you tried turning it off and on again? It may be cliche, but it's the first thing you're asked for a reason. It is amazing how often it actually fixes issues. Similarly, you will constantly hear that you should pray and read your Bible to strengthen your relationship with God. And this is repeated ad infinitum for a reason as well, because it works. Talk to God, listen to him, be open to him and actively looking for what he has to show you. You'll be amazed how much he speaks to you when you're actually and actively listening for it. Last tip for this, encourage one another. 
Positive feedback is so good for helping you to do difficult tasks. Be in fellowship with other believers and share your experiences, good or bad. Tell them what you're struggling with and what you've succeeded in. Encouragement and prayer for your brothers and sisters is hugely important. Join a small group if you haven't yet. I speak from experience here when I say that they are fantastic and so encouraging. Honestly, just give it a try and you'll agree. I know. To close, I want to share a quote from another favorite piece of entertainment of mine, The Simpsons. Honestly, there's some really insightful stuff in the first eight to nine seasons of this show, even one that perfectly sums up my sermon. Homer, kind of sad and downtrodden, says to Marge, you must hate me, Marge. Every time I try to help, I just fail miserably. Marge replies by saying, oh, I don't hate you for failing. I love you for trying. You must hate me, Marge. Every time I try to help, I just fail miserably. Oh, I don't hate you for failing. I love you for trying. I'm telling you, that's exactly how God feels about us. He may demand perfection, yes, but if we try and fail, he is infinitely more focused on the fact that we tried than on our failure. He loves us. He loves being with us. And he is overjoyed when we simply try for him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for creating a way, even though the cost for you was enormous, for us to be with you despite our own failings. Lord, I want to live for you, and even though I'm not perfect and I know that I'll fail at points, I'm going to try to do your will. I'm going to honestly try. Please help me to do so. Grant me the ability to see people as you do, so that I may love them as you do. Please help to keep my eyes and thoughts on you and your commands, so that I am vigilant and able to recognize when I need to up my effort. Help me to love you and love my fellow humans as you do. And thank you that I know you'll always be there to help me and give me what I need to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.